Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want you to grab your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Psalms 147, verse number three, and that's where we're going to begin today. We're going to be doing this series called Healing Heart Wounds, and um, I've been advertising it a little, and I know that there are people here today because their heart hurts. How many of you have ever experienced a heart wound? I'm not talking physically, I'm talking obviously spiritually and emotionally. You have literally experienced a heart wound. Let me see your hand. Yeah, I think we all have, haven't we? So this is going to be a four-part series, and I'm going to begin today on the spirit of rejection. We're going to talk about rejection today. We're going to talk about how that Jesus can help us heal. Amen? Amen. Psalms 147 and verse number 3, very short, very powerful scripture says this, He heals the broken in heart, and He binds up their wounds. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus and we thank you for the privilege and the joy that we have of being able to effectively communicate your word today because of the anointing. I pray that you would touch the ears of the hearers to hear their hearts to receive. Touch my lips of clay to be able to effectively articulate what thus saith the Lord. We give you praise for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Thank you, Charles. Rejection is very real. Rejection is very real, and many times the effects of rejection can be felt for a lifetime. And let me tell you something. Rejection hurts. And rejection doesn't just hurt, it hurts bad. We can go to Genesis chapter 29 and for lack of time today, we're not going to completely dissect this because I've got other scriptures that I want to share with you today. But in Genesis chapter 29, we find the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Laban. How that Jacob went and he fell in love with Rachel when she brought her father's sheep to get a drink of water at the well. I mean, here's a working lady. She's a shepherdess bringing sheep to get water at the well. And at first sight, he was smitten by her. And so in Genesis, and that's found in Genesis 29 and verse 11. Genesis chapter 29, verses 18 through 20, there's things that happened in between there, but just suffice it to say that he had a conversation with Laban And he told Laban, he said, I I want Rachel to be my wife. I mean, I'm just smitten with her. I love her. I think she's beautiful. She's wonderful. We hit it off. It's just all these, you know, things. And Laban says, okay. He says, uh, give me seven years of labor and, and you can marry Rachel. Jacob's like, piece of cake. Isn't it amazing what a man will do when he falls in love with a woman? I mean, just seven years, just not a problem. 
So Genesis 29, verses 23 through 30, then we find out where here, here we've got Jacob and he's getting married and all of this and they go in and, and the veil comes off and it's not Rachel, it's Leah, Rachel's sister. Jacob's like, whoa, wait a minute. Either something happened overnight or I had too much to drink or whatever, but here we go. And so he goes and he talks to Laban and Laban says, well, you know, he said it's not customary for the younger daughter to get married before the older daughter does. And so you're going to have to work seven more years for Rachel. Jacob says, done. Because he loves her. He loves her. So Laban swindled Jacob, but Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than the betrayal, greater than the rejection. So let's dig a little deeper and let's talk a little bit about rejection. The definition of, of rejection in the Webster's Dictionary is the act of throwing away or the act of casting off or forsaking or the refusal to accept or grant. I want to say that rejection can be a spirit. And, I, and I'll explain that to you by talking to you about some of the common attitudes that come along with the spirit of rejection. Someone who is under the influence of the spirit of rejection many times will try to be someone that they are not in order to be accepted by other people. Because they're not satisfied with who they are and they think they have to be something that they're not. Can I say, and I've said it many times, I'm going to say it again. Nobody can do you like you. So be you. If God wanted you to be someone else, he would have made you someone else. There are people in this world that need the gifts and the talents that God created you for and God is counting on you to be you and the people that need you are counting on you to be you. So quit trying to be something that you're not. If you could achieve it, the best you would ever be is second best. I can stand up here all day long and say, shout yeah, somebody. <laughs> right? I can. I can say, you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. And that don't make me R.W. Shambach. <laughs> I said what he said. I said it similar to the way that he said it. But it doesn't matter if I perfected it. The best I could ever be is second best. God loves you. <laughs> that don't make me Joel. <laughs> Joel needs to be Joel and I need to be Johnny. Right? Right? What about this? Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Who is that? I can't pull it off, can I? I can't pull it off. But there are preachers the world over that's walking across their stage, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, because they're trying to be T.D. Jakes. God made Jakes to be Jakes. God made you to be you. God made Shambach to be Shambach. God made Joel to be Joel. Quit trying to be somebody that you're not. It's a sign of the spirit 
of rejection. Another sign of the spirit of rejection is that you reject others easily. And then, you're, then another sign is you're always wondering if you're being accepted. People get funny. They act crazy. When they find it's 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 hilarious, Bishop. You can you can relate to this. You, people that don't know you don't know anything about you at all. Know nothing about you, and they'll be cussing and telling jokes and all that kind of stuff. And then someone will walk up to you and say, "Well, hi, Pastor. How are you doing?" And all of a sudden, they just the 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 color just drains. <laughs> From, well, I'm sorry. You didn't tell me you were a preacher. I just look at them and say it wouldn't have done me any good. God hears every word you say every time you say it. Ooh, come on, we're digging now. A sign of the spirit of rejection is somebody that's always trying to be the life of a party. They were probably rejected all the time growing up. Self-pity is a strong sign of being rejected. The inability to receive correction is a strong sign of the spirit of rejection. Blaming others, always having a victim mentality. Everything bad that happens to me is because people didn't treat me right. When are you going to take responsibility for who you are? Your life today is the result of the decisions that you made yesterday and your life tomorrow is going to be the result of the decisions that you've made today. It's a sign of the spirit of rejection. All that leads into pride. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. People that have the spirit of rejection have a very high opinion of themselves. They're all that and a bucket, a chicken, and if it wasn't for the chicken, there would be no dinner. Another sign of the spirit of rejection is that there's negative feelings of insecurity masked by, masked by boisterous projection. So they're boisterous, they're loud, they're envious, they're jealous, they hate successful people. People that are under the influence of the spirit of rejection hate successful people. They can't stand it because they're always trying to measure themselves up against Successful people, well, I'm just as good as that. And they make statements like this. Well, they put their pants on one leg at a time just like I do every morning. Uh, okay. They fear confrontation, but they don't act like they fear it because their identity is based upon what you think, what they, people think of you. And this is the last thing that I want to uh, talk about as far as the spirit of rejection today. A, a good sign of it is a person that's under the influence of the spirit of rejection feels like they don't need anybody. I can do this by myself. I don't need any help. And they're under that feeling of rejection. Well, what caused it? Well, what are our vulnerabilities? When we talk about rejection, what are our vulnerabilities? We are most vulnerable by those we are closest to because they can hurt us the most. They're engaged with us and they can hurt us the most. And, and we're vulnerable during life-altering decisions. We're vulnerable right after a loss like a job, a health, health, maybe health, maybe losing a marriage or losing a relationship or losing a friendship and people become very vulnerable during those times. So, I want to tell you today, I wanted to kind of lay that framework and that groundwork because I want you to understand there's hope. You can overcome the spirit of rejection. You, you know, God can heal that heart wound. 
rejection is a heart wound. God can heal that heart wound. The roots of rejection lie in a person's identity. If you fix the identity crisis, you can heal from rejection. I'm going to say that again because it's probably one of the most important things I'm going to say in this message today. If we fix our identity crisis, we can heal from the wounds of rejection. And you know what? When we start to heal, then we can quit hurting others. Now, so let's work on our identity. Our identity should be found in Christ. Right? And God is not in the business of rejection. Jesus said, I'll go with you even to the ends of the earth. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. He said, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. I won't leave you alone. I'll comfort you there. I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. We'll just walk through the valley together. But here's a powerful scripture. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. And I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified Bible. It's so powerful when it comes to overcoming our identity crisis and overcoming this spirit of rejection. It says this. It says, let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions. And be satisfied, somebody shout satisfied. satisfied. Be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. Now listen to this. For he, God, himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give up on you, nor leave you without support. Let me keep reading. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake you nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Surely not. What's that saying? God's saying, I'm not going to give up on you no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what battle you're going through. I'm not going to give up on you. Let's look at this just a little bit. Go about halfway through the verse. The Bible says, God says, I will not in any way fail you or give up on you or leave you. There's three things there. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to give up on you. And I'm not going to leave you. People that are rejected are afraid of being, they're they're afraid of failure. They're afraid that other people are going to fail them. They're afraid relationships are going to fall apart. They're afraid jobs are going to go away. God can bless them with something wonderful and great and come straight from God and they live the rest of their life worried that they're going to lose it. If God gave it to you, there's nothing the devil or anybody on the earth can do to take it away. What God gives us We get to keep unless we turn it loose, unless we release it. And so God said, I'm not going to fail you. And then he said, I'm not going to give up on you. He should have put in there, well, I I shouldn't say he should have. I'm just going to add to it just a little bit just to help us better understand. He said, I'm not going to give up on you even when you are a rascal. (laughs) 
Even when you act the way you shouldn't act, you say the things you shouldn't say, you do the things you shouldn't do, even when you try to be who you're not, even when you're all boisterous with pride, I'm not gonna give up on you. No, God's got too much invested you in, in, in you in the sacrifice of his son on Calvary. God's not gonna give up on you. God's not gonna fail you. And this is how we get healed from the spirit of rejection. We realize that no matter what happens, I'm still accepted in the beloved. God accepts me when mother forsakes me, when father forsakes me, when brothers forsake me, when sisters forsake me, when aunts and uncles forsake me, when spiritual leadership forsake me, when those on the job forsake me, the Lord will raise me up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about being rejected. So the word says that God's not going to fail you. He's not going to give up on you. And God's not going to leave you. Just the very presence of God makes the devil tremble. Hallelujah. So let God shine through you. Let him shine through your life. Let him shine through your speech. Let him shine through your actions. Let God shine through you. And then he goes on. And the Bible said he's not going to leave you without support. And then I will not, I will not, I will not. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, God won't. God will not. God will not. He said, I will not in any degree leave you. I'm not going to leave you 25 degrees. I'm not going to leave you at 50 degrees. I'm not going to leave you at 75 degrees. I'm not going to get you 90% of the way there and turn around and walk away and turn around and say, gotcha. No, that's not God. That's not God. That's not how God works. That's not how God operates. No, God says, I am not going to any, in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. So let's fix this identity crisis. If we know that God's not going to fail us, if we know that God's not going to leave us, if we know that God is, is not going to give up on us, if we know that he's not going to relax his hold on us, if we know he's not going to get us halfway there and walk away from us, then there should be some confidence there so we know that we at least have God on our side. So if God before me, who can be against me? And if God is on my side, then what I need to do is I need to fix this identity crisis. So let's work on fixing the identity crisis so the spirit of rejection can be driven out of our lives and our heart can be healed. So let's work on the identity crisis. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, the Word of God says that God adopted you. Who am I? I'm an adopted son of God. Take that devil. You told me that I was a loser. You told me that I would never amount to anything. You told me that my family history said that I was going to always be a failure. But no, no, no. I became born again. I became adopted into the kingdom of, our dear, of God's dear son, Jesus Christ. I become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm part of the body of Christ. That song we used to sing when I was growing up, I'm a happy Pentecostal born again, tongue talking, holy rolling, heaven bound believer and the liberator. By. That's who I am. I'm a king's kid. I'm an heir of God, I'm a joiner with Jesus Christ all because I've received the spirit of adoption where I, whereby I can cry, Abba Father which means Daddy God. 
So he's no longer just God to me. In the Old Testament, they were friends of God. In the New Testament, we have the opportunity to become sons of God. And so we can say, Abba Father or Daddy God. In the Old Testament, they called him Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Jireh, the place of our provision. But in the New Testament, we say, Daddy! Am I the only one that that, man, if that don't crank your motor, you, you need a tune-up. Something wrong. Got to understand the level of relationship, the nature of the relationship, the kind of relationship that you have with God is different than even what Abraham had. And if God did what he did for Abraham as a friend of God, what's God going to do for his family? Woo. So, 1 John 3, 1. Let's get this identity crisis fixed. Number one, I'm adopted by God. Ha, ha, ha. Your daddy got stuck with you, but my daddy picked me. Adopted <laughs> by God. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. The Bible says that God made us sons like Jesus with sonship rights. And so not only are we adopted we're not just a red-headed stepchild over in a corner somewhere. And if you're a red-headed stepchild, I apologize. That's a figure of speech. <laughs> but we're not over in some kind of crazy corner somewhere with absolutely no rights. No, 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 no. God made us sons like Jesus and gave us sonship rights. That's in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 17. And then in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 6, if we had more time, we'd be reading and dissecting these scriptures and, be, and having a lot of fun with them. But in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, God gave us a position of authority in heaven at God's right hand by Jesus. Ephesians 2 and 6, the Bible talks about God raising us up and causing us to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Then you go on in that passage in the Bible said that God has placed Jesus far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is, that is named, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's Lord in heaven and he's Lord in the earth. And guess what? The Bible said God raised us up together with him and caused us to sit together with him. What does that mean? That means that we're far above principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is named. And by invoking the name of Jesus, we invoke the family name and we are exercising the authority that God has given us as a son of God and an heir of God, uh, of Jesus Christ and an heir of God with Jesus Christ. We speak his name and when we do, the power of Calvary comes on the scene. We don't have what we need in the church today because the church fails to access everything that Calvary paid for. There's a whole lot that Calvary paid for that we're not uh, enjoying in the church today. We've got to learn. We've got to learn to access it. Then Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3, the Bible said that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. 
So think about this. Now we're fixing our identity crisis. Number one, we're adopted by God. Number two, we have sonship rights like by Jesus. Number three, God's raised us up above everything that used to wreak havoc in our life. He's put us up there with Jesus positionally, spiritually speaking, far above principalities, powers, mights, and dominions, everything that is named. And we can invoke the name of Jesus and use the authority of heaven. And then the Bible said in Ephesians chapter one and verse number three that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. So who are you? You are a blessed person. You are blessed. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I am blessed. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, Nanana boo-boo, I'm blessed. Tell them, blessed, blessed, blessed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I want you to look at the person in front of you and say, blessed, 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 blessed. Come on, tell them. There you go. Yeah, you're speaking it over them. Turn to the one behind you. Blessed, 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 blessed. Come on, the dissemination of the word ought to be fun, shouldn't it? We are blessed. We are blessed. Why? Because the Bible says we're blessed. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, God blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. So when the devil comes to you and says you're defeated, you're destroyed, you're nobody or you're nothing, say, wrong. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. God didn't bless me to make me a blessing. I'm a blessing because God blessed me. We'll say it again because it's totally different. Get up in the morning, Lord, make me a blessing today. Lord, make me a blessing today. Lord, bless me today. Lord, bless me today. Lord, bless me today. Totally different than Lord, make me a blessing today. Lord, make me a blessing today. You say, well, how can I pray that? Because you're already blessed. The Bible said he blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. And what we receive in the spirit can manifest in the flesh and we can live blessed because of Calvary. Nothing would be possible without the cross. I want that to be very clear. Nothing. Then Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible said God made us righteous. So when the devil comes to you and says, hey, you're a nobody, say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No, you're not. Hey, the Bible said God made me that. God made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then Psalms chapter 103 and verse number 12, God removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. So devil, don't be coming at me with that stuff anymore because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You can try to accuse me for what has been, but that's my has been. Old things are passed away. All things are become new and what lies ahead of me is a life of blessing in Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 12, the Bible said that God has not just forgiven of us, uh, us of our sins, but he has chosen to no longer remember our failures against us. Your friends will remember those failures and even point them out. Your family especially. All of you has been to family reunion. <laughs> Absolutely. There's always one there, isn't there? Or two. They sit over there and they're miserable with their life so they can't stand the fact that you pull up and you're blessed in yours. Well, I remember when. Say, yeah, and take it as an opportunity to preach. 
Look what the Lord has done. Mm, mm, mm. Look what. You do that twice and they'll just sit over in the corner and go, and that's okay. Let them do that. Let them do that. Hallelujah. Because see what the devil's trying to do? He's trying to shut you up. But the minute that he accuses you, because Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the minute that he accuses you, when you flip that around and you start preaching the gospel message, all of a sudden the devil's going to find out, I can't mess with them like that. Can't mess with them like that. God doesn't remember my failures against me. And I've had plenty, and so have you. Every last one of us in this place has had plenty. But God don't remember those against us. He paid the price to wash us and to cleanse us. In the Old Testament, I've been preaching this to you the last few weeks. In the Old Testament, the blood covered sin. In the New Testament, the blood cleanses sin. We're cleansed. We're washed. We're, we're set apart. Hallelujah. Then in John chapter 17 and verse 23, I love this, I love this, I love this because the devil tries to pound on you. You know what the Bible said in John 17, 23? The Bible says that God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Woo! When the devil comes to you and says, you're a nobody, say you're the one that got cast out of heaven. <laughs> say you sorry loser. Get under my feet. Hallelujah. God loves me. There's hope for me. And I've received that hope. Hallelujah. So that's what we do. We fix our identity crisis. We just let the devil know that we are not who men say that we are. We are who God says that we are. We're who his word says that we are. Now the last point that I want to make today is this. Jesus understands rejection because he was rejected. He experienced that. He experienced the pain of rejection. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and 3, it's the famous Old Testament verse, where the Bible says that he was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. We thought he was even smitten of God, afflicted. That's what we thought. But then the next word of verse 6 changes that. It says, but, see we thought all this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. So he was rejected and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and people hid their faces from him. So Jesus understood rejection. In fact, in Matthew 21 and verse number 42, the Bible says that the stone which the builders disallowed has become the head of the corner. What's it saying? The very church that Jesus built is trying to reject him. That spirit is still alive in the earth today. It's called the spirit of the Antichrist. And it's alive in the, in the, in the church today. That's why you have so many churches that are afraid to go past an hour and 15 minutes in their services. You know why? Because they're trying to satisfy carnality. Some of us are too messed up. God needs more time than an hour and 15 minutes to work on us every week. 
And I'll tell you what I found out, and I've been around a lot of those churches, and a lot of times they grow very big, but they're about that deep. And what I found out is when the wind comes, the sheep scatter. That's what I found. That's why it's important for us. to Listen, there's absolutely nothing. Let me say it like this. There's absolutely nothing in the world that can replace the manifestation of the presence of Jesus in the midst of his people. And when God starts moving in the midst of the people, we need to take our watches off. We need to quit worrying about what we're going to do after church because what are you going to do after church anyway? You're going to try to beat the Baptist to Sioux City. Then you're going to go home and you're going to sit down in a recliner and you're going to sleep for three hours. <laughs> Pastor preaches where we live. Come on. Well, I think I need to spend time with my family. So you go home and this is how you spend time with your family. <laughs> what are you doing? Spending time with my family. You're catching flies. That's what you're doing. <laughs> You're not spending time with your family. You're using it for an excuse to skip out on the presence of God. Hallelujah. My brother's from South Africa. They have five-hour services over there. That's why I told him he's got 20 minutes. I was afraid he's going to preach three hours. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I really am teasing. But... But many reject him today in the, in the churches. They try to make the church look like the world so they can attract the world. And when the, church when the world comes into the church, if they see no marked difference, then why would they want to come back? No, when people come in where the church of God is gathering, and I'm talking about God's people, when people come together where God's people are gathering, they need to leave change. They need to feel loved. They need to feel challenged. They need to feel strengthened. They need to feel encouraged. And at times they need to feel convicted by the word of God as God works on them and changes them and transforms their heart and transforms their life. Jesus was rejected by the church. He was rejected by the very church. The stone which the builders disallowed the same has become the head of the corner. Jesus was rejected by the church he tried to establish and today Jesus is being rejected by the same church. They're replacing him with programs. They're replacing him with personalities. They're re replacing him with gimmicks. I want to encourage you. Let's let the presence of Jesus reign in the midst of his people again. And let's hang out and not leave until we have been touched and changed by the presence of almighty God. Amen. Mark, eight, Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. Jesus was rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. So he wasn't just rejected by the church congregation. He was rejected by the elders of the church. And then in Luke 17, 25, Jesus was rejected by his generation. Now, I want to say something about that. There are a whole lot of people that have given up on the millennial generation. Now they're saying, don't even use that term, but you know what I'm talking about. They're saying they're not interested in God. Only 12% of them go to church and stuff like that. No, no, no. No, let me tell you something. The millennial generation, here's what I found out. The millennial generation is not interested in being entertained. They're interested in being transformed. So... 
the reason that you have that, that thing where people are saying, well, only 12% of them are going to church, it's because they're leaving powerless churches mainline denominational churches that don't believe in the gift of the Spirit. They don't believe in the move of the Spirit. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in prophecy. They don't believe in all of these types of things. I did a study on this. I've studied it because my kids are millennials. All of them serving God, and I'm thankful for that. Not always been that way, but they're all serving God, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm going to tell you something. I've studied it, and what I found out is the charismatic, Pentecostal, Spirit-filled churches are growing by leaps and bounds. You know why they're growing by leaps and bounds? Because the millennial generation is leaving the powerless dead churches and they're moving somewhere where they can experience God, where they can sense something. They're sick of being entertained. Come on. We turn down the lights. We put on, we turn down the main lights. We put on the fancy lights. These aren't what you would call fancy lights. You'd think they're fancy lights if this is the only place you go to church, but these aren't the fancy lights. They put on the smoke machines. The 55-year-old the pastor gets up there in skinny jeans. I don't know how a real man could ever wear skinny jeans anyway, but anyway. Hey. Dear God, I didn't just say that. and they paint their hair purple, and they walk across with a jive. Why? Because they're trying to placate to a generation. That generation don't need you to be them. They need you to be a spiritual father. Raise the standard again. Quit apologizing for being spirit-filled. Quit apologizing for being Pentecostal and let that generation experience God. It brought you to the party and it'll bring them too. Amen. Now, <laughs> Jesus was rejected by his generation. What did he do? What did Jesus do? Come on, Charles. What did he do? Jesus still fulfilled the plan of God for his life. The spirit of rejection did not stop Jesus from doing what God had planned for him to do. Pastor Angelo, if Jesus came today, he wouldn't be trying to conform to the world. I had a conversation with Pastor Angelo the other day. Can I, say, can I share it? Is it okay? I don't want to embarrass you. I told him, I said, Pastor Angelo, I said, you don't always have to swim against the current. But sometimes it is necessary. And when it is, just fight with everything that you got. And I want to tell you, there are times when we just need to let God move. Now, let me, I didn't want to get too much into that, but Jesus went ahead and fulfilled the plan of God for his life. Many times he swimmed against the current. He swimmed against the current of tradition of his day. He swimmed against the current of the culture of his day. Jesus did that. And in the process of it, thousands gave their life to Jesus. Jesus worked miracles because he preached a gospel that he could produce. He preached a power he could produce. That's what's wrong with the church today. We preach a power we can't produce because we don't pray enough to be powerful when we pray for people. told somebody this morning, I said the word of God, we like to use 2 Corinthians 7, 14 and say if we pray, God will heal our nation. I said that's one of four. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, that's number one, and pray, that's number two, and seek my face, that's number three, and four, turn from their wicked ways, then 
I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their lands. Some of you preachers, there's you a quick outline. <laughs> Jesus stayed the course when he was rejected. He was faithful. He was faithful in the midst of rejection. He was even faithful with nails in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns crushed up on his head. He cried, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was faithful in the midst of rejection. And because of Jesus' obedience, because of his willingness to stay the course, you're saved today. Come on. Think about it. Jesus was not politically correct. Jesus got on a lot of people's nerves. Jesus messed up the culture of his day. Jesus even, Jesus got driven out of the temple and Jesus got driven out of towns. He passed a funeral procession. Messed up the mourners because he raised the guy from the dead. <laughs> you talk about a revolutionary. And he just got a little bit too popular for the hierarchy. Hello. And so they tried to knock him down a notch or two, but Jesus just kept on. And because he kept on, we're saved today. He was not swayed by what was going on around him. He paid attention to the voice of God that was in him. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Don't you feel the presence of God in this place right now? Come on, while well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around for just a few moments. Back to our springboard scripture, Psalms 147.3. He heals the broken in heart. He binds up their wounds. That's what the word says. Jesus will heal your broken heart. Rejection, no more. Rejected, no more. Accepted forevermore. Come on, say that with me. Rejected, no more. Accepted forevermore. Say it again. Rejected, no more. Accepted forevermore. While you've, while your heads are bowed and. Your eyes are closed and those that are watching online from around the world also. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, God didn't make it difficult for you to give your life to Him. No, He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is a very familiar passage of Scripture to those of us who study the Bible. It says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you don't know Jesus today and you would like to accept him and receive him into your heart, then in this sanctuary and around the world, I want you to pray with me right now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, 
I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a Christian. I believe that you're the son of God and that you died on Calvary for me. And today, I ask you into my life and be my savior. And I want you to be my Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at me. Those of you that prayed that prayer, those of you that prayed watching, salvation doesn't cost you anything. Jesus paid for that. But it's going to cost you something to live for God. What does that mean? It means as God continues to change your life and you continue to grow and you become a disciple, which means a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, learning the disciplines of daily living. There are things that God's going to convict you of and he's going to ask you, you need to give that up. You need to lay that down. But God will never ask you to give something up without giving you something back in return. He won't. He won't. So as the next few days and few weeks and few months, and then the years start coming, as they start clicking by, don't ever forget the moment that you made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Revisit this moment time and again. Let God stir up that first love that's inside of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Charles, let's have a little chorus. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727 727- 856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.